welcome to the Sirdacne Podcast. I'm Steve Sirdacne. Today we're joined by uh, an incredible person and an incredible athlete and somebody that everybody knows, uh, Natalie Spooner. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Well, it's great to have you. Um, it's great to see female hockey players like yourself succeed and uh, be so involved in the game and inspiring a lot of young, young female players to play the game and to improve. Tell me just a little bit about growing up. Um, when did hockey start for you? Obviously, I know you come from a bit of a hockey family, but just tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I had three older brothers, um, and they all played hockey. Actually, like my parents knew nothing about hockey. They came from England, and my dad was a rugby player. So he obviously was, was an athlete, but he always said he's not going to put his kids into, uh, I guess, like contact sports. <laughs> so he put us all into soccer, but all the kids in Canada who play soccer in the summer play hockey in the winter. So my oldest brother started playing both, and we just followed in his footsteps. Um, and then, yeah, I started playing hockey when I was four, I played with the boys my first year and then I actually quit hockey because I guess I didn't like the equipment. And then I still went to power skating to learn how to be a good skater. And then I met another girl at power skating who was in her hockey gear. And I was like, Oh, you play hockey. And she was like, yeah. And then she invited me out to her practice uh, that week. And that was Durham West lightning. And I joined the team um, there when I was five and stuck with that same team until I was 17. That, that's a great story. Uh, parents often ask me, they say like, you know, well, she doesn't really like to play or he doesn't really like to play. What should I do? So your hockey career could have went a completely different direction if your parents didn't provide you with the opportunity to go to power skating or to, to be a part of a thing because yeah. it's not the same for everybody. I was at power skating in my snowsuit. <laughs> so like all the other kids were in their hockey gear and I went in my snowsuit every time. I said, that's the only way I'll go is if I can go in my snowsuit. And then the other girl showed up in her hockey gear. So then I was like, okay, I can wear my hockey gear too then. And it's crazy, that girl that I met at power skating, she played on my Toronto Furies team. She played at Providence and then played on my Toronto Furies team. So it came very full circle. What was her name? Jessie Vela. Oh, gee, that's, that, that's a great story. So yeah. growing up as, as a young girl, what's your earliest memory, hockey memory, uh, as a young girl playing? Probably playing on the backdoor rink with my brothers. Um, my dad like always made a little backdoor rink um, he had like the Christmas lights up around the fence uh, to light it up. And so probably just being out there. And I think I always hurt them by accident. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. How, did you find like uh, on the ODR and we all grown up on the ODR, was it like a, a place of skill development and learning or was it more of a place of punishment where your brothers would uh, absolutely torture you and you had to fight for your pucks? I think a little bit of everything. I think my brothers were actually quite nice to me like they were trying to help me because I was like the little sister like my oldest brother was 12 years older than me he played at Wisconsin and then my next brother was seven years older than me so like they were quite a bit older and I was just always trying to keep up but it always seemed like somehow I would give one a black eye or a broken nose or something like my stick would just get somewhere ridiculous so I think I was probably punishing them more than they were punishing me <laughs> that's awesome now, you know, your parents weren't, weren't traditional hockey parents, but hockey became a giant part of your family, obviously, with your brothers and yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for what, sure. I mean, they didn't even know what a jock or a jill was at first or what hockey equipment to put on us. So I think they said when they came over, they just went to Canadian Tire and whatever was on the mannequin was what they bought. So my oldest brother, he didn't even have long johns on the first time or like under stuff because they didn't even know that you had to wear that because they couldn't see it on the mannequin. <laughs> What, uh, you know, you, you were fortunate to grow up in Ontario. Um, a lot of girls don't get the opportunity to play, you know, a strong level of, of female hockey, but you just happen to come from a place that uh, maybe some of the best hockey and the, the most amount of female hockey players, you know, growing up to the PWHL. Like, when did you, when did you say like, hey, you know, I, I like going to hockey and I, I really am starting to enjoy this. And I honestly believe that players – tend to enjoy hockey based on their skill level, how, how they skate, how they handle the puck. And the better you are, the more fun it is. When did that <laughs> moment happen for you? You know, I don't know if I ever actually realized that I was like good at hockey until I maybe made like the under 18 team Canada team, but I always like had a lot of fun. Um, even in the summers, like we would go to hockey school and we'd be on the ice for three hours a day. And my brothers would be like the instructors and I would just be out there. Like, I think I just love skating and love skating fast and, um, that'll kind of always help me in my game was my skating. So I don't know if I ever like really, there was like a moment where I was like, I love this. I think I always just 
enjoyed it and enjoyed going to the rink. And um, I think too, like having friends that like loved the same things that I did was, was really cool. Like in my school, there wasn't really that many people that played hockey. So it was really when I got to the rink that um, I met a lot of amazing friends that, you know, I'm still friends with now that also loved hockey. When you, uh, when you were growing up, obviously you played in the same organization for almost many years, any, uh, like in the, in the PWHL, like what, uh, what are your best memories growing up, uh, especially through those, you know, midget years before you mm-hmm. moved on? Oh, um, I mean, we had a pretty good team. Like growing up, I, I played on teams with Tara Watchorn, who was at 2014 Olympics, um, Jennifer Wakefield, who was at the 2014 and 2018 Olympics. I kind of like, Watchorn was my age, Wakefield was a year older, and Wakefield's sister was a year younger than me. So I kind of rotated back and forth and was always with um, their family. But I played on a team once, and um, Tim Wakefield, who was Jen Wakefield's dad, was our coach. And I remember he was so into stopping and starting, and we were never allowed to curl. Um, but we went undefeated that year, and we were just like such an amazing team. So I, that was definitely what, a uh, That's awesome. What, what uh, obviously, you know, when you, you're going through – through hockey growing up and, and the years are passing and, and, and you're getting better and better at the sport, you're starting to, to gather attention. And even before we start talking about your Team Canada experience in U18, when did the, the school start contacting you where you thought, hey, well, maybe I can get some education out of this and I can move to the next level? Yeah. Oh, man, that was so long ago now that I don't really remember. But I think I committed like the end or the beginning of my grade 12 year so maybe the end of my grade 11 year or the beginning of my grade 12 year I committed it was like November so right at the end so probably grade 12 um and and now I know it's a lot earlier but I mean I think it was probably around grade 10 I started getting some like letters in the mail and to be honest like my whole career like I thought I was just gonna go to Wisconsin like uh, my brother played there I, I had gone to visit I loved it um and then my mom was like well let's just go visit another big school that's like closer because you'd already seen Wisconsin like just so you can kind of get the feel and that's when I visited Ohio State and I just fell in love with it and I mean I still went on other visits I visited BU um and Cornell I was supposed to visit Colgate but I canceled that one um but yeah I just I just knew as soon as I got on the Ohio State campus it just felt right what were the like do you remember your final two like when you're gonna you know I'm going here or I'm gonna be going there what were your final two choices? Ooh, um, after my visits, it was definitely Ohio State or Cornell. And then it was really just deciding between like Ivy League and if I felt like I, I could afford it <laughs> or um, going to Ohio State. Oh, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what, when did you like, let's, let's talk about Team Canada a little bit. What, obviously, you got probably a strength and conditioning. I, I, I think thinking way back, like the U18 programs, I think it just started. I think it literally was, I think you were part of like maybe the first team, if I recall correctly, like what, uh, obviously you got an invite. Like how did it all happen? Let's, let's go through the process so our listeners can, can see. Yeah. So, um, I, well, I started with like, like team Ontario first, you got to make like your provincial team to even kind of get noticed by team Canada, I guess in, in a sense, there's like some players now that are on our team Canada who didn't play on team Ontario, didn't play under 18. And like, like if you look at like Lauren Gable, Renata Fast, like they're amazing players. And, you know, some players don't peak till after university. And that's, that's kind of. Patty Kazmaier went, a Patty Kaz winner right there that didn't exactly. get a chance to play, right? That's you know? great. Um, but most players do come up through like their provincial team. So I think I, I tried out for my provincial team first when I was 14 and I got cut my first year. And then I played when I was 15, 16, 17. Um, and it was my last year when I was 17 that they announced there was going to be an under 18 team Canada team. And that would have been the first, um, that was the first world championships under 18 in Calgary. But it was crazy, like leading up to that um, national championships, I had broken my jaw. So like, I didn't even know if I was gonna be able to play in it. So I was like, so distraught because I was like, this is my one chance to like try out for Team Canada. If I don't have the chance, like, how am I ever going to make it? Um, But I ended up coming, I ended up getting my, like these wires off. So I, like, I still had like the braces looking wires, but at least I could breathe then and open my mouth. Um, Tell our listeners, I know it's probably not a pleasant memory, but what happened? Did you get hit? Did you run into somebody? What happened? Yeah, it was um, Stony Creek tournament, my grade 12 year. So I I would have like, it was like literally, I was at my first senior September camp, like my first, like with the big 
the big dog. So I was like all pumped up and I came back from that and I was at the Stony Creek tournament. So I was all pumped up and like, I don't even, I don't know if I even block shots that often, but I went down to block a shot and the girl kind of dragged it and I could tell she was going to shoot it right at my face and I probably shouldn't have, but I kind of went like that to like try to get out of the way and it, it hit me under my cage. Oh jeez. Yeah. So I broke it like here and here. Um, so then I was like totally wired shut for about five, well, it's supposed to be five to six weeks. I think I got it off around four weeks, four and a half weeks to be able to play at nationals. Um, okay. And then, yeah, in the gold medal game, I got hit again and I started bleeding everywhere and I was like freaking out, but it was just that all the, the wires had like cut up my mouth. That's with, uh, that was with Team Ontario Red? Is yes, that- Team Ontario Red. At- we ended up winning and luckily I ended up making the team. <laughs> so all was well. Who was on that team? Can you remember a few girls that you played with? Oh boy. Um, yeah, well, like Watch Horn, I would have played with. Like in net, I think we had like Amanda Mazota in net, who's now a coach, a goalie coach. Um, yeah, could it be active? Yes. Uh, we, who else would we? I mean, we had, we always had solid teams. It would have been my last year. So it would have been my age and girls that were a bit younger. Like Brianne Jenner would have been on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, probably Jamie Lee Rattray. Yeah. When, when did you, so, so after, after that tournament and overcoming mm-hmm. that adversity, like when did you hear from team Canada, you know, you made this U18 team was the letter. Was it a phone call? Who called you? When was it? Um, it was definitely a phone call. Cause I remember like jumping up and down in my house with my parents. Um, and I think it was probably Mel. I'm pretty sure it was Mel that would have called me then. Cause she coached our under 18 team. Um, back then and then yeah and then but then like we had such a good team our under 18 team too and we lost we were the favorites to win like we won the series and then we lost that world championships where where was the event uh the, the in Calgary. 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 yeah okay so it was Father David home, Bauer. So, yeah so it's just where it all began who was uh, who'd you play with in that tournament you had a strong tournament that tournament Ooh, who are my line mates I don't even remember been a while eh? i know i might have played with jenner actually but yeah and you guys played the states in the final obviously yes okay there you go so obviously like what a year you know you're playing the nationals you break your jaw you you win the nationals for team red you play for team canada have a disappointing loss well you still have you know the rest of the season to go through and obviously with ohio state the ohio state coming mm-hmm. uh coming and moving forward who uh just tell us a little bit about you know that last that the last year that grade 12 year and then making the transition of of going to Ohio State like what did that look like yeah I mean I think like any time you're moving from you know one level to the next or one team to the other there's always going to be you know that little bit of transition um you know getting used to the speed of the game stuff and I was definitely pretty nervous going into it but I mean my team was awesome they they made we had I think seven freshmen so at least we could lean on each other and be there for each other and help you know through the the whole new process so I think I just kind of took it all and and ran with it and just tried to make the best of it and I I loved it I mean I had the best experience at Ohio State I I wouldn't trade trade it for the world um but yeah it's definitely a, a bit of a transition you know every time you move up a level but I think you can you can catch on pretty pretty uh, quick because the good thing about university is you are practicing like almost every single day and you have games every single weekend so you're on the ice so much that you know you can improve so quickly so you pick number five and and for those that uh, are familiar with Natalie you consider her a goal scorer and number five you know it might be something that like Adam or or like a defenseman might wear how'd you end up with that number so I wore number five like my whole life Um, okay yeah, my, my older brothers always wore number five. And I think it was because everyone started playing hockey around the age of five. So my parents were like, hey, you're five, just wear number five. So I, that we all just wore number five. And then um, I was able to get it at university too. And I even wore it my first year at Toronto Furies. Um, and then going with Team Canada, like my second favorite number was number 22. And it was partly because Haley Wickenheiser, but partly because my oldest brother wore number 22 at Wisconsin. So um team can't under 18 I wore number 22 and then I was like okay well when I make the senior team like hopefully I can get number five back because I always wanted number five but um Colleen Sistorix who is a defenseman on team Canada wore number five at the 2010 Olympics 
Um, and then um, when I joined the team in 2011, you have to wait at least like two or three years before you can have someone's number. So they had just kind of given me number 24. Um, and okay. then the year after, uh, Lorianne Rougeau made the team and she got number five. So I never really got to go back to number five. So I was just given number 24. And, and now I quite like number 24. I think it suits me. But yeah, I was number five my whole life before Hockey Canada just threw number 24 at me. <laughs> so obviously, you know, people probably are most familiar with you with your Team Canada experience. Being in the U18 was your first experience. Um, I'm not sure that everybody, I, I want to kind of give the listeners a little bit of an insight on how difficult it is to get there, how -hmm. difficult it is to get to the next level. And, you know, you've obviously, we'll talk about incredible accomplishments you've gone through, but like, was it always an easy road with Team Canada? You went from U18 and then obviously they created the U8 and U22 program. How did that go? Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's never easy. There's so many good players. And I mean, in some sense, we're, we're lucky to live in Canada because so many girls play hockey and it's the fastest growing sport, but it is hard to make um, it to this level. And I think if you ask any of the girls, like even now, you know, you see those girls that are coming up that are so good and it's a, it's a battle every day to, to make sure we're keeping our spots. But yeah, under 18, it was an amazing experience. I think it was super cool because every single one of those girls in that room, because it was the very first year, we all got to put on that Jersey at the exact same time. And like no one else had ever worn an under 18 team Canada Jersey or a team Canada Jersey, because that was the first time we were going to have an under 18 team. Um, And then from there I had my first senior camp. Um, I ended up making the team for uh, four nations cup right after that, um, which was pretty cool. We were in a Lake Placid um, and I, I didn't really play much, but I was just excited to be there. And then we went into um, overtime in a shootout with the U.S. And Mel, I remember like I had maybe had like two shifts the whole game. And Mel was like, Case, when are you going to shoot in the shootout? And I was like, oh my gosh, I barely touched the puck. But okay, like I have this one move. Can just go try. And What um, move was it? What move was it? What move was it? Forehand, backhand, forehand. Okay. And Jesse Vetter was in net. And I, I went down and I fell right into her. So this <laughs> would have been 2008 Four Nations Cup or 2007, one of those years. And then I didn't make the team again until 2011. So it was definitely a a battle in that. And I even remember being at university um, and getting a phone call from Mel being like, you're not going to be centralized for the 2010 Olympics and you're not going to have the chance to make it. Like your hockey's just not mature enough. And I think like I was devastated um, and it took me a little bit of time to get over that. But I think then I realized that I had to, you know, work even harder if I was going to prove to them that I deserved to be on that team. And, um, 2011, I tried out again and I ended up making it. So it may have been a, a blessing in disguise. It, it made me kind of pick up my game and, um, you know, make me really look at myself and see what I could do to, uh, to kind of mold myself into more of a two-way player and to focus on my defense. Um, but it, uh, it, it made me push a little bit harder for sure. I think what people don't realize uh, in women's hockey, with Canada obviously being a superpower and the U.S. being a superpower, I, uh, TSN's replaying a bunch of games in the 2012 World Championships was just on, and I'm sure you probably caught it too as well. And I noticed number 24 out there, and that was – was that your first World Championships that you represented your country in? That would have been second, because 2011 okay. would have been Switzerland, 2012 was Vermont when we won. Okay. Yeah. What – what uh what do you remember i guess obviously you know you're still a pretty young player mm-hmm. and you know you're with the senior team like what do you what were your first memories yeah like 2012 um world championships was crazy like obviously it was my first time winning but the whole tournament was pretty nuts because our first uh round robin game against the us we lost like 9-1 like we got it handed to us so coming out of that like obviously i was a young kid i didn't really know but um, we really looked at our leaders and they kind of brought us together and was like, okay, we're going to need to figure it out here. Like, that's embarrassing. Um, and I remember Wick coming up to me and being like, we got to get do something to like get the girls going. So this is going to sound really funny, but during one of the meals, we started a flash mob to the song Sexy and I Know It. Okay. And, um, and everyone was eventually just dancing around. Like the coaches had no clue what was going on. And at the end, we all like made a circle around Wick and all like fell out. And she was just standing there like, 
like flexing. Um, so we just did a bunch of like stuff just to kind of bring the team together. And uh, it was almost like the world juniors this year. Like we ended up coming back and winning that game in overtime uh, in, you know, in Vermont. Like the one thing I was, I was at the 2010 Olympics uh, and I watched the men win. And I also happened to be at the 2010 uh watching the girls win in that exciting come from behind fashion. And the one thing that watching, watching the U S and boy, they're fast and super skilled. They definitely played a little bit of a different style than Canada at that point in time and skilled fast, just kind of a different, uh, a different concept when we go back that far. And that's not, that's not easy to compete against sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think too, like, Back then, I mean, you had players like Jillian Apps, Carolyn Wallet, who are quite large, big players. And I think now we're even getting a, a little bit smaller, whereas, you know, there's myself and Laura Stacy, but we're probably the two biggest players on the team now. Um, and the U.S. is definitely a lot smaller than us, but they're also getting a few more bigger players and we're getting a few more smaller, speedy skill players um, who are making it happen for us out there. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let, let's fast forward. So, you know, you win a world championship, which I, it's extremely hard to win if, uh, if people follow. It's been a war against the States, and quite often sometimes Canada in the world championships wouldn't come out on top like they did in the Olympics in 2010. Moving forward to, to 2014, obviously, you, your dream was to play in the Olympics and to play for Team Canada. Mm -hmm. So finishing up at the Ohio State and, and being involved with the national team and the centralization process, Mm -hmm. when did how did that go how, when did you find out that you get a chance to compete to be on this team yeah so um like centralization all starts with a boot camp in may so oh when would i have found out i think i would have found out probably before world championships which have been in april so probably like february i would have found out um that i was going to be centralized and then we had world championships in april and then in may um to june we had a month-long boot camp out in Kelowna in Penticton and then uh we went back home for a bit and then in August we all moved to Calgary to train and play together in that midget AAA boys league and it's definitely a, a world win I mean there's they bring in 28 players and at the end of the day in Sochi they only took 21 in Pyeongchang they took 23 like we got the same number as the men got um but yeah they could cut you at any time along in the process so it's definitely really stressful probably the longest tryout I've ever uh, had to be involved with but uh, I think you know you get to play every day and play with and compete against that practice with the best players in the world so you're definitely going to improve a lot uh, and you have a lot of fun along the way too but it is really stressful like I remember I got a concussion and I was out for a bit and I remember going into a meeting and my coach telling me I was on the bubble and I remember calling home and crying saying I'm probably coming home I'm going to be cut just because it's just so stressful and just you know, as, as tough it is, as it is physically, it's also really tough mentally, um, you know, just to, to make it through and every day, you know, you're striving to, to get better and to prove yourself. And um, it's, yeah, it's a grind because too, when people get cut, they were your friends, um, you know, so you're really pulling for everyone, but at the same time, you want to make the team. So it's, it's a really weird situation. <laughs> and I want to talk about that just a little bit because how – what were the strategies you used? Obviously, they're trying to build a team that's going to represent our country. We have the best players. But while you're building this team and wanting to be a part of this team, you're individually competing against these same girls you're sitting beside mm -hmm. for positions. And like you said, your coach said, you're on the bubble. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. What did you do to – and this isn't a short period of time. This is over a period of months. What yeah. did you do to manage that? So, well, after my concussion, I, I was like, well, I got to come back and prove to them that I'm not on the bubble. So I ended up coming back and playing really well and um, putting up a lot of points, which, which helped. But I mean, I think like while you're in it, you, at the same time, you can't really think that it's like you or the other girl, you just got to think like your team and you want to put your best self forward for the team um, and try to be the best player that you can be. And hopefully that's the person that um, you know, the coaches want on the team. So I think, yeah, it's, it's a weird situation, but at, at the end of the day, like, I think you just have to control what you can control out there. And if you know that, you know, you've given it your all, then at the end of the day, if, if you're chosen to represent your country, then 
you can, you know, you've prepared. And if not, then obviously it's, it's devastating, but I think you got to realize that you help these girls too. And I mean, luckily I haven't had to go through the other side of it. So I don't really know. Like I, I can only imagine how those girls feel, um, you know, when you feel part of that team and then you're all of a sudden not, and you're watching the Olympics. Like I, I can't imagine how, how they would feel. So when did you find out, Hey Natalie, you're, you're going to play for team Canada. Yeah. So Olympics. we move in August and then it was like right before Christmas. So around like December 21st, 22nd, um, we had normally had meetings with the coaches and, um, you kind of come in and I remember my, um, my Sochi year, it was, uh, we had Kevin Deneen as a coach cause our coach had stepped down and we got a new coach and, um, he just like stood up and put his hand out over the table and said, Spooner, are you ready to go overseas? And I just like burst into tears. <laughs> just like it's either the best Christmas present ever or the worst Christmas present ever on that day. Wow. So <laughs> you get told you're going to be playing on the Olympic team. Like <laughs> I know, you know, everybody sees the games and, and hears about it. Like describe your Olympic experience. Like, like behind the scenes, like, like what was it all like coming up, you know, getting on the plane with the team and like, tell us a little bit, like, what's it like to be an Olympic athlete? Like what's that experience like? Yeah. I mean, it was all pretty surreal. Like I was so nervous, but, um, leading up to that 2014 Olympics, like we had finally got a new coach. They had figured out our lines and, um, we only had, we only had 21 players at the Sochi Olympics. So everyone was, dressing and we had um four lines and I was on a line with Augusta and Wickenheiser so they were my line mates and they definitely not bad eh? not bad yeah, not, yeah. not that, that I'm glad they could like put you with a few players that could kind of skate right yeah so um they definitely you know took me under their wing and made sure that I was feeling comfortable um and kind of just helped me in that regard because obviously going into your first Olympics it's like something you've nothing you've ever done before so I was a nervous wreck but um having them it definitely made me feel a lot better and um, they kind of just showed me the ropes and I mean, the opening ceremonies were the coolest thing ever. Cause you're now part of this bigger team Canada. That's bigger than, you know, you're used to being on your team, but now you've got all hundreds of other athletes that are also team Canada, um, that play so many different sports. So that was really cool. Um, just to be walking in as a big sea of red and waving and cheering and everything like that. So yeah, that was probably like, other than winning my favorite experience would be in the opening ceremonies. And then other than that, I literally, I think I just tried to, you know, go off what uh, the older girls were doing to figure out what was kind of, you know, the routine. And we had definitely gone through, like before the Olympics, we had done like walkthroughs of the Olympics and like played games on the exact same days we would have be playing at the Olympics. And if we were walking in the opening ceremonies, we went on these like long walks to mimic as if we were doing that. So like we definitely had been prepared for kind of the schedule we were going to have. Um, and then it was just finding a balance between, you know, do you, when do you, do you see your family? Do you not see your family on this day? Is rest more important? Um, you know, getting food at the cafeteria, what are you going to eat? All that kind of stuff. Um, just kind of, you know, seeing what the girls who had been at the Olympics before, what, what they were doing. Wait, like you, let's just, you mentioned two players and I'm going to ask you about who you looked up to. And I kind of think I know the answer, but you know, playing with Haley Wickenheiser and Megan Augusta, you know, considered, you know, Haley's considered probably one of the best female hockey players of all time. And mm -hmm. Megan's the same thing. What, what did you learn from them? Like just from what they shared with you, what you observed about their habits and about just how they conducted themselves both on and off the ice. What are some of the key things you learned as a young player? Yeah, I mean, we look at them and they're just such professionals and, um, you know, I think the reason that Wick was around for so long is that she, she worked so hard and she was so smart. Um, and it really, you know, allowed her to keep playing. And I was so lucky to, to have the chance to play with her. And I remember, you know, playing with her, I was even nervous cause I was like, she's kind of intimidating and all this stuff, but now we're friends and like, she doesn't seem intimidating at all. But at the time, you know, like someone like that, who's kind of a legend and you grew up, you know, idolizing it, it's pretty um, nerve wracking, but I remember kind of just sitting and, and definitely being nervous. And she looked at me and she's like, don't worry what anyone else thinks, just play your game. And just to hear that and to know that my line mate trusted me and, and believed in the way that I could play, um, it, it stuck with me and it still sticks with me now. And, you know, sometimes 
you can get in your head when there's so many people watching and, or you're wondering what the coaches are thinking or, you know, what your line mates are thinking, but, you know, just thinking back to what she said and um, don't worry about anyone's thinking, just play your game. And I, I still stick with that quote a lot. That's awesome. Growing up, like, we'll just rewind for a second. Who were, who were the, the girls you looked up to? Obviously Haley was one of them. Mm-hmm, for sure. So like when I was little, like I didn't really know that much about women's hockey. Like I had my three brothers and I wanted to be just like them. Um, but when I was 11, I went to a camp and I got to meet Jennifer Botterill and see her gold medals um, at hockey school. So she was definitely one that sparked my dream um, to want to play. And I remember even going to watch some Four Nations Cup cups with um, Tara Watchhorn. She was my, my line mate. Um, and my, or my, she was my deep, well, she was a defenseman. She was my teammate, but, uh, she played on the 2014 Olympics and we went growing up, got to go watch some games and just seeing like how fast Wick was out there and just how like dominant she was. Um, she was definitely someone that we were like, wow, she's amazing. Like, this is so cool that she's that good. What, uh, so let's just talk about the gold medal game in that Olympics obviously the Olympics it's not like this short competition it's, it's kind of a grind you have to play all these games and be, keep yourself prepared so mm-hmm. you're going into the U.S. for this gold medal game and sometimes in games things don't go exactly the way that you want them sometimes they do what do you remember most about that game yeah I mean we were down <laughs> I remember that like I remember sitting on the bench and being like wow like what what's going on here um, but I remember also looking around and seeing like players like Jillian Apps and Wick and it didn't seem to phase them at all. Like they were just like, stick with the process, like just keep going. Um, and then when Jenner got that goal, that, that nice bounce off Bellamy and, and it went in, I felt like it kind of gave us a little bit of extra oomph and, and some energy and then the puck hitting the post. Uh, and you know, the whole time, like as, as much as it was like, wow, we're down. I think the whole year we had been through so much as a team, like we had had a coach step down, we had injuries. Um, there was just so much adversity that we had already overcome. Like we were on a four game uh, losing streak going into that Olympics, like to the U S and we were like, we need to like figure this out. So, um, you know, I, like even looking back now, I'm like, maybe it wouldn't have felt right if we would have won any other way because we were just so prepared for that. And we had come back against the U S in games before. So we knew we could do it. Um, and then obviously getting that first goal and then, and then the, the posts, we just kind of ran with that momentum and was like, let's make it happen. That's awesome. Now uh, you got an amazing game and, and you win in such an exciting fashion. What was that like when the, they put the gold medal around your neck and you're standing with your team. I mean, it was like one of the best moments ever. I just remember, you know, looking along the line and singing, Oh Canada. And, um, you know, you have your arms wrapped around your teammates and you're just so pumped. Um, and at the same time, you also feel just like so much relief because the year is such a grind and there's so much pressure. And obviously with being Canadian and, and how many gold medals they've won in the past, there's, there's that pressure of, you know, it's gold or nothing. So I think there was just so much relief also in knowing that we had achieved our goal and all the hard work was, was worth it. Yeah. And it's, it's a memory of a lifetime and winning with teammates that'll be family forever is just an amazing mm-hmm. thing. Now yeah. people that get to go to maybe one Olympics in their lifetime, you had the, had the same opportunity again in 2018 and um, maybe not the result that you wanted, but uh Tell us a little bit about that Olympics. Yeah, that like Olympic experience was totally different. Like obviously I, I knew what to expect now going into the, into an Olympics. I'd, I'd been to one, um, but our year went like way smoother than 2014. Like we were winning a bunch of our games against the guys. We were on a four game winning streak against the Americans uh, going into the Olympics. We really hadn't had to face that much adversity throughout the year. We were really kind of just rolling through the year and, and being really successful. So then, getting into that game, we were feeling good. Like we kind of had, had it, I guess, like we were confident, probably way more confident than in Sochi. Um, and then obviously going into overtime that were them coming back to tie it up and going to overtime and then into a shootout. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, it's not fun to ever lose in a shootout. Um, 
but I guess you got to take that in and learn from it and not even let it get to a shootout in the future. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a heck of a game, a heck of a game. And, uh, wasn't like just decided in one or two shots. It was, uh, kind of drawn out and, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's the way the hockey goes. Now, speaking about the female game, I know that you had the opportunity to play a little bit of professional hockey with the Toronto Furies. Mm -hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Obviously, there's not a league right now, um, and maybe there's not those opportunities for female hockey players. Where do you think that we need to be so that females have an opportunity and an equal playing field for, for, for playing the greatest game in the world? Yeah, I mean, if it, if it was up to me, there'd be a professional women's hockey league right, right now that we could play in and that women could have a career playing hockey. And I think that it would also bring... Um, the level up of women's hockey because people wouldn't have to have jobs um, and other ways to make money and, um, you know, have all this time committed to something else and then try to play hockey at night and on the side. I think that's the part that's, you know, holding women's hockey back a little bit. And I think that it would just take the level so much better if uh, people could keep concentrating on hockey post-college because some players don't peak until, you know, after college. And I think that that's really tough for, um, a lot of players to then balance work and hockey. And I mean, we had, we, our league folded the CWHL and we created the PWHPA. Uh, and last year we were really successful and got to hit a lot of new markets. And, you know, we went to Arizona, to Philly. Um, we had some showcases in Toronto. And, and so like markets like Philly and Arizona, like they've never seen a lot of women's hockey before. So even to get out to those markets, um, was amazing. So I think just all these places we were going was showing that there is a market for women's hockey out there and people do want to watch it. It's entertaining. Uh, it's just now about, you know, finding that league that's going to be sustainable. That's going to be around, you know, for years to come. And I mean, you look at the NHL and, you know, they started somewhere and, and now look where they are. So, you know, we're not asking for the same thing as the NHL. We're just asking for a start and, I mean, if it was up to me, I would love to have, you know, kind of like a WNBA model that's under the NHL umbrella and um, WNHL or whatever they want to call it. But I think that they have the infrastructure and they have the support. And um, if they could just, you know, like help us, we, and we can run with it and, and take it to that same level. What do you think has to happen? What's like, obviously, the NHL expressed interest, but what has to happen? Like, well, this year, you know, you guys had an opportunity a lot of top level players, but there's a lot of girls out there just finishing college and deciding yeah. what they're going to want to do. Some have been with the national program, some haven't, and some get them. What's, what has to happen for girls to have a place to play like in the yeah. immediate future? Yeah. I mean, that's like a tough question because there's so many different things. I mean, like, yeah, like we would love to be under the NHL, but obviously they, are still a business and they have to make decisions that they need to make. And I'm not sure if with this Corona, if it's going to hurt the, you know, the options out there, but I think for now, we're just going to continue our PWHAPA showcase and um, continue playing those games and adding some more games in to make sure we're getting still the training and, and the games we need um, and the practices that we need in Toronto and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tough go for women's hockey at the, right now but I, I mean this fight is for something so much bigger than you know what we're doing right now and that's you know for for women's hockey down the road and hopefully it's maybe not us that are gonna see the rewards but those little girls that you know get to come out to the showcases and watch us that are going to be able to then play professional women's hockey and to have that dream of saying I want to be a hockey player when I'm older and, and people won't even question them. Well the one beautiful thing about female hockey is that ability to a, get an incredible education like you did, um, mm -hmm. get to represent your team and, and your country at the World Championships and at the Olympics to become a gold medalist. Um, hockey's also given you other opportunities. And um, like, for example, being on The Amazing Race with uh, Megan Nicholson, which was, was an amazing thing. And I know you're going to talk about how great it is because people always want to talk about that. What, I, I want you to tell people about that experience that they didn't see. I know they get to see what's on camera yeah, and yeah. how fast it all moves. Like yeah. what's the reality of that? Like, you know, like when you're filming a TV show and they want to get your interviews and you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're supposedly racing around the country. What are some things that, that people 
wouldn't know about that experience. Yeah. So it's all very real, like the amazing race, like everything that's happened does happen. Um, we're gone for about five weeks and we're traveling around. Um, so you're very like sequestered or isolated from all the other teams really until the starting lineup. You have no clue who anyone else is. And then um, during the legs, you can talk to the other teams, but as soon as the leg ends, you're like whisked away and you're not allowed to leave your hotel room. So you're actually not allowed to like talk to any of the other teams unless you're um, on, on camera because they want to get all that interaction. Um, but other than that, that's, that's kind of how it is. Like whatever's on um, camera, they have a camera guy and a sound guy chasing after you all around the different countries. Um, and yeah, like they may stop you and ask you for some answers or some questions quickly to see kind of what your thought process is trying to accomplish um, one of the tasks, but yeah, it's, it's mostly whatever you do. Like, like, I guess watching it back, there was like, wow, they missed a lot of the stuff that I did. Like, I'm like, they should put that, <laughs> that on, but, but like they take such a minuscule amount of, of what is actually filmed. Cause they probably have so much footage cause you're racing. Maybe it's 12 hours a day and then you have 12 hours off or like they have, you have to have at least 12 hours off between each leg to like take a nap and get some food in you so did you have to make all your own travel arrangements or was that kind of pre-arranged for you or was it like literally you had to figure it out on the fly how to where, where you're going what you're doing um no so like it would say like go to hong kong and then obviously there's mostly only like one flight to hong kong a day um and then so then if it was like go to victoria like sometimes there was two flights and and only like six teams could get on the first one and like three teams could get on the second one so it kind of depended on where you were going and what like the flight options were um and then yeah what? like if it was like ferries and stuff you had to just buy your own ticket and figure out it would tell you like to take the ferry to this island and then you'd get another clue there or take the ferry to this island and find this castle or whatever it was um, you said to kind of go with it. What did, what was the biggest memory that you remember from that like whole experience? Obviously you won lots of challenges. You got to see a lot mm -hmm. of amazing places. Like what's the thing that sticks out that you remember the most from that experience? Ooh, there's a lot. Like um, when we were in Normandy, France and we got to drive these like block carts, they were like sailboat cars, like around the beach. Like that was one of the funnest things ever. Like I had never been on a sailboat car and okay. I remember we were just dying laughing because we were really far ahead of everyone so it was only me and Mick there and like you're supposed to like do like so many laps but we ended up like turning it to a race between us so I went okay. to like cut her off and like flipped her boat over <laughs> <laughs> and we like crashed it was we just like turned it into our own fun little game <laughs> did you guys get along or did you have any scraps along the way spending five 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 weeks every day for yeah um, we got along seven. most of the time, but we did have a few like little arguments. Like, oh, like um, one time we fought over like which bed we were gonna sleep in 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 the hotel. Like, it was after a really really long leg, so we were like exhausted. And the night before, I had slept in like a cabin, like top bunk. So I was like, I, next time I had said like next time I get the good bed, then like I get to choose. And so there was one bed, and then there was a pullout couch, and I was like, well, I'm gonna sleep on the bed. And I was like, you can sleep in the bed with me, but I want like a real bed tonight. And she was like, but I want the bed. And, Anyways, we had a little fight, but in the morning we were fine about That's that. Awesome. But, yeah. How about at the, at the finish line? Did, did you think you had a chance to win? Did you have an idea there was a team in front of you? Like, yeah. I know you guys had an amazing, you know, well, you had an amazing race, but uh, mm -hmm. did you have an, any idea that you didn't win or was it like just yeah. a full surprise? Yeah, we knew like the other team was ahead of us because um, like right off the bat, uh, we had to do uh, whitewater rafting and one of the guys was a whitewater raft guide and we were like making full circles out there. Like we had no clue what we were doing. So we were already pretty far behind then. And then um, in the climbing challenge, like Mick had a broken hand from the Olympics. So she had to like try to climb with a broken hand. And then we got to the part where we had to like make the boards and we definitely made up a lot of time, but we were still about five minutes behind them. Uh, and so then we were just hoping that there was going to be like one more challenge, but it wasn't. And we tried to, you know, win that car and, and foot race in, but, um, we ended up coming about five minutes behind the first place team. 
So it was actually that close. Like in yeah. reality, it wasn't like, okay, we're going to make this look pretty close for television. It was no. that close. Yeah, we were pretty close. Geez, that's amazing. So your television career uh, continued uh, just recently uh, on Battle of the Blades and, and you became a figure skater. Yeah. Like <laughs> if people don't, you know, understand, you know, it's, it's on ice and, and, and quite often figure skaters become involved in our game, maybe from as skating coaches. But I want you to describe that experience because the boot, the blade, it is, it's similar, but it's so different. Want, tell us about that a little bit. How'd you get yeah. used to that? When I first got on the ice with like the toe picks, I was so uncomfortable. Like I almost felt like I couldn't lift my feet off the ice because if I was going to lift my feet off the ice, like I was going to toe pick and hit the toe pick. So I just kind of like skull around. Um, I fell so much, like my whole elbows were bruised. My knees were bruised. Uh, I really just like did not trust myself in those skates. Like it was, it was really tough, but, um, the more I kept going, I kind of became a little bit more comfortable, um, got my feel like my partner, I think at first he thought that we were just going to do jazz hands everywhere because like, he's like, there's no way this girl's going to be able to skate. <laughs> he probably just thought we would just skate down the ice, like going like this the whole time, like <laughs> jazz hands. But eventually, um, we were on the ice so much, like we were practicing like three or four hours a day um, on figure skates. So we eventually got the hang of it and were able to do some pretty fun moves and slowly kind of improve throughout the course of the show. How did, how did your feet feel? Did they become raw? Did you figure out that your balance points on your figure skates were completely different than on your hockey skates? How long yeah, did my, that take? My feet actually weren't that sore, luckily. Like they... I think I had blisters once where I had to wear blister pads, but other than that, I, I, they were pretty good. Like their boots are, well, at least the boot that I had was quite a bit softer than hockey skates. So it right. was, it was pretty comfy, but yeah, just like there's like, they have like almost like a roundness at the front of their skate where you could glide forever. And like, once I got used to it, I was like, this is amazing. Like why don't hockey skates have this? Like I could just like, and you could really feel your edges on figure skates. Like then when I would go back to my hockey skates, I felt like I had no edges at all. Um, so yeah, it was definitely really different of a blade, but, um, you can tell why figure skaters are such good skaters because they really feel everything, um, in through their boot. Well, I think figure skating is a, it's a great sport to watch. And I think what makes hockey such it may, hockey's the hardest game in the world, Natalie, you know, that as somebody who scores goals and, 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 you have to skate as well as play in a confined area at full speed with uh, mm -hmm. people running at you, controlling the puck. It's, uh, I, don't, I sometimes think hockey players don't get credit for being the best athletes in the world. It's the most complex biomechanical sport in the world. And, uh, you know, it's neat that you can have that experience, though, just to experience the singularity of skating around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was definitely weird now being judged for how I look skating because I'm not the prettiest skater in hockey. And now I had to be like, dainty and have my arms be perfect and upright and all this stuff so it was it was definitely a totally different experience you know being judged for doing things instead of just like okay if you get from point a to point b if you score goals you're good just do that <laughs> isn't that isn't that the truth yeah. so a lot, of, a lot of young hockey players and a lot of older hockey players out there what's the biggest I guess the best advice, you know, you could give young hockey players like about pursuing their dreams and, and what are, what are some of the secrets to your success, I guess, that have helped you individually become the player you are and have the success you've had? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think I've always just loved the game. So I think like the key is like have fun. I think the more time you're going out there and you're having fun, you're going to want to stay on the ice. You're going to want to um, practice and figure out your skills. So I think I've always just had fun um, playing the game and have a passion for it. I think other, th other than that, like really just believe in yourself. Um, I'm not sure like I even believed in myself for a long time, but I think that that's um, really important is to, to believe in yourself and to believe that, you know, you deserve to be there and you can be there if you work hard. So you, you're known as a pro prolific goal scorer, uh, much better than, than Adam was when he played um, – that's Adam Redmond, if the listeners are wondering. More of a defensive specialist who <laughs> thought he was a who thought he was a centerman. Like, what were what are some of the? Well, let, let's hear it, Natalie. Let's, let's give our listeners, our young listeners, and our old listeners, and our coaches, 
what are some of the secrets of goal scoring? You scored a lot of goals through your career and through college. And Boy. I think what, what are some of the tricks and techniques you use? Um, okay. So like when I was, when I was little, like one of the things that had just come out was like changing the angle on the puck. And so I had a skills coach that taught me that pretty early. And I think it wasn't really like a much taught skill. So that kind of gave me a little bit of a head start. Um, but even through university, like my brothers would always be like, what are you doing? Like you have so many shots a game. Like, why don't you score more? Um, and then I remember my brother going back and comparing my numbers to like Danny Heatley, who he played with at university and being like, okay, you know, it's not so bad. Like, yeah, you may take like 20 shots a game and score two goals, but you know, your percentage is still like decent, you know? So I think it really is about getting shots and pucks to the net. Uh, and I think that that's really what I tried to do through my career is, is take those opportunities that I had um, to get pucks through. And I think even sometimes now in the women's game, we do try to pass too much and, and be too fancy where we do just need to get, to get pucks, more pucks to the net. The female game has a tendency for girls to want to pass and, and move it. So it's, it's important to put pucks on net. I think, mm -hmm. you know, you need, you need about 13 shots to get a goal. And that's a lot if you really mm -hmm. think about it. Yeah. What, uh, shot or deke what would you say you're more of a shooter more of a deker I think I'm more of a deker if I have a chance but I feel like sometimes I just get carried away and shoot it but I think I'd rather deke for sure or let me like take in there favorite place to shoot the puck in practice low blocker favorite deke well it's probably forehand backhand forehand but I feel like everyone knows that now so I gotta change it up <laughs> Got to, got to change it up a little bit. What's the most cha challenging thing for you right now as let's just say, okay, you're, mm -hmm. you're becoming more of a veteran mature player uh, mm -hmm. compared to being the young girl on the team. What's the, yeah. what's the challenges with them? Ooh. Um, I mean, I think like throughout my career, I've, I've had to evolve and become more of a defensive player and kind of a, a well-rounded player. So I think, you know, when you're used to, scoring all these goals and sometimes now you know you're more focused on defense or, or in a shutdown position um I think it's really just realizing that it's you know it's okay if you're not scoring all the time and um you know you're contributing in, in to the team in different ways now daily workout routine what's it look like um so right now like we have workouts coming in from hockey Canada um so I lift Monday Wednesday Fridays um conditioning and uh, speed on Tuesday, Thursdays, and then plyos also Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. And then I also throw in some yoga on Tuesdays and Thursdays on my own just to try to keep the flexibility. As you get older, I feel like you get a little bit tighter. <laughs> yeah. And not to mention, you're not exactly, you know, five foot ten imposing frame on the ice. You're not like mm -hmm. uh, curl yourself in a ball and spin in the air, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go to a little question and answer right now. Some of your favorite things. And so people can get to know you just a little bit better. Um, where's the favorite, your favorite place you've ever traveled to? Oh boy. Um, probably Italy. Maybe. I don't know. There, I've been to some really cool places that, but I did love Italy, like the food, the wine. Um, yeah. I mean, I probably got to go with Italy. Bahamas is also really nice. If you want a beach, Bahamas. Absolutely. Yeah, you never know. You get <laughs> yeah. twirled around. You get twirled around arms in the Bahamas sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me this place you'd like to go that you haven't been. Oh, there's a lot. Like Australia, Ireland. I would love to go to. I'd love to go to like Spain, Greece. Perfect. I got a long list. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolute favorite meal. Um, the keg's blue cheese filet. Okay. That's pretty good. Absolute favorite cheat meal. Oh, like if I could just eat like a whole chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it would be. That's what it would be. I have the biggest sweet tooth. Like I just love sweets. Favorite movie. Ah, oh, I have a lot of favorite movies, but probably the movie I've watched the most is pitch perfect. <laughs> Oh boy, there we go. I've been subject to that a few times too as well. Yeah. Favorite music? I think anything I can sing along to. So like not just like pop, but um, 
like I always said, my secret talent was like top 40 because I drove so much and drove everywhere that I'd always listen to the radio. So I could, I've been, I've been told that, you know, I'm going to ask you your hidden talent really shortly, but, but from, I've been told that somebody sings an awful lot and I'm not sure if it's good or if it's bad, but is there any truth to that? I mean, I enjoy singing. People always say like when I'm singing is probably when I'm happy. <laughs> Who's the better singer? You or Adam? Oh, me for sure. Perfect. Yeah. Um, favorite, favorite artist. Ooh. Hard question. That is like Celine Dion, maybe like all time favorite. Like just, I think she's amazing. Like her voice. Like I obviously have other favorites that are now like newer and more hip, but um, I think Celine Dion. Yeah. If you couldn't be a hockey player, what would you be? A pop star. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> oh boy. That's uh that's, that's a great answer. Um <laughs> If, 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 you, if you didn't play hockey, what other sport would you want to be as good as you could be at? Well, I grew up playing soccer. So, like, I think it would have been cool to also, you know, continue to play soccer. But I also um, did swimming. So, maybe swimming. Swimming or, like, okay. I, I never did golf or tennis. But I think those would also be really cool sports to, to be good at. What's your favorite downtime activity? which she seems to probably have a lot of downtime right now, but. Napping? No. <laughs> uh... I, w I want to talk about that. I actually want to talk about that because um, fitness and hockey and, 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 and nataliespooner.com and there's a lot of things going on in your life, but napping's a very, very important part of your life. Like when did that start? When did that become a habit? Ooh, I feel like I've always been a napper. I've always been a napper. Like, I feel like because in high school, even like I'd wake up and I'd go swimming in the morning for swim team and then I'd have school and then I'd have school sports and I'd get home and I'd always like take a quick nap before I'd have to go to hockey practice. So I feel like I was always a napper and even in university, I was a napper and it just continued. That's fantastic. So you have some exciting things happening in the future and I happen to, uh, I happen to know um, you, were, you were engaged and uh, you're, you're scheduled as of right now with uh, to get married this this summer tell us a little bit about that yeah so we're supposed to get married in july but obviously with this corona um we're not too sure if it's going to be able to go ahead if the borders are going to be open if we're going to be allowed to have gatherings or if social distancing will be over so just kind of waiting to see and um fingers crossed that all will be far past by then but um yeah definitely having to look at some alternate options um just in case so talking about your fiance uh adam redmond i happen to know adam taught him since he was about nine years old natalie so i knew him a little bit before you mm -hmm. how did you guys meet um so if you ask us it's both different stories <laughs> um for me i remember meeting him at the calgary stampede so i came out to visit uh, megan mickelson who i did the amazing race with um, and we went to an event um, called Bull Busting uh, at, oh gosh, maybe it was, wasn't Cowboys, oh, Ranch, the Ranch, Ranchman's, Ranchman's. Okay. Um, and I'm, he came out with um, one of his friends and I met him that night. But if you ask him, he would have met me on the ice because he was a skills coach. So there, there you go. Yeah. So it's a different, so it's a different story. Um, mm -hmm. How did he propose? Uh, we went, uh, it was last year after world championships, we went to Croatia and we went on this side of a mountain hike um, up in Dubrovnik and he proposed kind of while the sun was setting over Dubrovnik. So I had an opportunity to talk to some of your teammates on Team Canada and people that you've played with. Okay. And I asked them, you know, tell me something about Natalie that, that people wouldn't know. And, and it seemed like social media picture taker, like you have a real talent for this, according to your teammates. <laughs> like, is, is this true or is this false information? I mean, I enjoy it, but I'm, I'm sure I'm way cooler online than I am in person. <laughs> Isn't everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what, what, what can happen. Um, so, 
let's give our listeners so if they want to find out what's going on in in natalie spooner's life uh on instagram what's your handle it's at nat spooner five and your website where people find out it's nataliespooner.com yes is that correct yes um and all your communications and your and your girls hockey schools and all those different things are available for people online yes 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 now Obviously, with the Olympics coming up, um, your immediate goals, I would assume, would be to try to make Canada's Olympic team. What mm-hmm. about future plans? How long do you see yourself playing hockey? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, right now, focused on this next Olympics, I'm, I would love to say, like, I would, I'll play another two. Like, I think I'll, I'll take it one Olympics at a time. But, um, you know, after this Olympics, I, I probably want to start a family if, if it all works out and then um, try to come back to make the next Olympics after that. I mean, I, I hope I'll know when, you know, my body's telling me that I'm not at the level or, you know, trailing off, but I feel good. I, I'm loving it still. I'm, um, you know, feel like I still have more to give and can keep improving. So as long as I'm feeling like that, I'm going to keep going. Do you see yourself being involved in the game after your playing career? I think in, in some way or another, yeah. Like I've, I've had some, um, some stints with Sportsnet and getting to be a hockey analyst and, and break it down, and I really enjoyed that. So I don't really know in, in what sense, but I know um, I'd love to still, you know, have hockey in my life if it's one way or another, if it's maybe not directly with a team and maybe just, um, you know, as a commentator or uh, maybe a scout. I don't know what, what I would do, but um, – yeah, some, something in hockey, I think, would be a lot of fun. Like, obviously, with, with the environment that we're in, with uh, the COVID-19, people are homebound, including yourself, um, yeah. as, as you do this. What are some of the things that you've been doing to, you know, let's just say, let's not go stir-crazy or not, to, mm-hmm. you know, to stay fit, stay active, keep your mind strong. What are some of the, the things that you've done that maybe you could share yeah, well, I'm pretty lucky that I have a home gym here. So um, I've just really tried to get into a routine, um, you know, making sure I get a workout in every day. Um, I, I'm lucky that I also get a workout programmed for me. So I don't have to think too much. I just got to get it done. Um, and then I've been trying to come up with activities to do. We've got some stuff done around the house. Um, I did some artwork, <laughs> going to make some soy candles. I've been doing lots of baking and cooking. So just coming up with activities to keep me busy. That, that, that's a great way. Obviously your family and your brothers had a giant influence on you. Was there anybody growing up or in your adult life that has been the, I guess the, the biggest inspiration to you? Oh man. I mean, I feel like there's so many people that have really like affected my career, you know, throughout my journey. Like I would say for sure my family and um, my brothers and, 2014, it would definitely have been Haley Wickenheiser because I don't think, you know, I would have had that confidence. And I think even after that Olympics, my game just kind of took off from there with, um, you know, having, having that belief in myself. So, oh, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's so many people along the way that kind of, you know, chime in with, with little bits. And I think you can pull inspiration from a lot of different places and a lot of different people. Who's the best player? you played against in college if you can think back who was the best hockey player that you played against in your just your opinion oh probably Brianna Decker she was pretty amazing she played at Wisconsin um another one is Michelle Carvinen who's from Finland she played at um North Dakota when I was there and she was also really amazing heck of a player what's the best player you played against and then I'm gonna ask you what the best player you you played with during Mm -hmm. your international career Played against. Maybe somebody that just, you found it really difficult to play against or they were really skilled or. Like, I mean, like people I hate playing against like the Lamaroo twins just because they're annoying and there's two of them. Um, <laughs> like Casey Bellamy, like defenseman, I think like just as a forward, I always think more of like which defenseman I wouldn't want to go down against. And I think Casey Bellamy is a hard one to play against on the American team. Um, best players I've played with, like obviously Mary Philip Poulain, who's our captain now, is an amazing player and so much skill. So getting to play with her um, was fun. And I think then again, like Haley Wickenheiser, like I'm not sure if anyone will ever, you know, 
beat that getting to win Olympics and having her be, be my line mate. It's, it's pretty surreal. That's awesome. Finally, just last question. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received in regards to life or in hockey? Oh, I don't know. Like, I feel like I've been given a lot of advice, but I think just like to have a dream and to follow it. And if you, you know, if you don't take a day for granted, if you believe in it, you can achieve it. Um, I also had a coach once tell me the kiss principle, the keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> so just to keep things simple out there. And sometimes it's, it's not about overdoing it. It's about just making, making it happen. Well, Natalie, this has been awesome. I, I want to thank you for your time and energy. Um, I want to wish you the best of luck in your national team aspirations and future, and as well as all the best with your, with your future with uh, Adam Redmond. Um, people could find out uh, about Natalie Spooner at nataliespooner.com and follow her through social media. I want to thank you very, very much, Natalie. This has been the Sardacne Podcast brought to you by ElitePowerSkating.com and The Driving Force. Thanks again, Natalie. Yeah, thanks so much.